You're listening to the Rise and Love podcast, where we believe that you get to have love and success in all areas of your life. Your host, Crystal Iram, will help you understand yourself, your relationships, and what's keeping you from having the love, relationship, and life you really want. Week after week, you'll have your mind blown as you learn from experts and listen in on honest conversations to experience mindset shifts and get practical instruction on how to use your mind to support you in getting everything you desire. We'll get to the heart of the matter when it comes to designing and elevating all aspects of love and life. Here's your host, educator, relationship coach, and lawyer, Crystal Iram. Ladies, hello, hello, hello. Welcome. It is Crystal Iram here, and I am so excited. We are going to be going over some of the biggest sabotages that I see women make when it comes to manifesting love. So this is going to be really good. I'm going to go through some of the content that I want to share uh, relatively quickly. So if you don't have a pen and notebook, go ahead and grab that now because you're definitely going to want to take notes. Okay, so let's get started. So I'm going to go through five. Five of the biggest sabotages that I frequently see. So the first one, the first way that we sabotage ourselves is really in a sort of unconscious or subconscious way. And this is by having competing commitments, okay? Competing commitments. So what this means is that consciously we have a desire. Consciously you want something. So consciously you want a happy, healthy, loving, committed relationship. Maybe you want to be engaged. Maybe you want to be married. Maybe you want to have a partner that you live with, right? So that's the conscious desire. But there is a subconscious or unconscious competing commitment, meaning there is something that is equally important to you or more important to you that you're not aware of. Another way of thinking about this would be an unintended negative consequence. So here's a really common example that I see with my clients and students because I tend to work with women who are very successful, who have really created amazing lives on their own right? And then they're in their late 20s, in their 30s, or in their early 40s, and they've been on their own all this time. So a competing commitment or an unintended negative consequence might be that they won't have the same level of independence, right? If you are in a committed relationship, then you're not going to have all your time to yourself. You're going to have someone else that you are maybe accountable to, maybe someone else who cares about where you are and what you're doing, maybe someone that you'll have to run ideas by or run, you know, your spending habits by. There's all sorts of things that can come up. And so you want to think about for you, what might those be? Maybe you are in a group of friends and all of your friends are single, right? And so that would be a competing commitment. You don't want to be different than your friends. Maybe your friends spend a lot of time talking shit about men. And so you wouldn't be able to do that if you actually met a really incredible guy, right? You'd be left out of that conversation if you were like, actually, <laughs> I'm dating someone fantastic. I can't say that men are trash anymore. So those are some examples of competing commitments, but you really want to think what is present for you? What would be the unintended negative consequences? So here's a way that you can think about this. You could get out a pen and paper and you could just journal on, even though I really want a loving, committed relationship, I deeply fear that. I deeply fear that. What are you afraid of? What might happen if you were in 
that really amazing relationship. Okay. And so this language that I'm using, I deeply fear that this is from a woman named Carolyn Elliott, and she teaches a process called deepest fear inventory. And so this really allows you to dig into those things that you're maybe not thinking of, right? These things that are not part of your conscious awareness, but it's really just about seeing what are those fears that I have? What would be the worst possible thing that could happen? What am I afraid of? Okay, so that is a big reason that a lot of women sabotage themselves and block themselves from the kind of love that they want is because they have these competing commitments, because they're not aware of what the unintended negative consequences are. So here's the thing with this. You know, in my programs, I obviously go through a whole bunch of different ways to clear things like this. But the first step is always awareness. So even without having a specific approach for clearing it, just having the awareness is really, really powerful. So this is an important first step. Number two, okay, and this is really, really closely related. So we talked about competing commitments. Now, another way that people sabotage themselves or a reason they sabotage themselves is because of something called unspoken contracts, unspoken contracts. So this is the idea that when we're in relationship with people, we always create contracts with them. And some of them are things that we don't ever talk about. And sometimes we do talk about them. So with an employer, for example, you probably speak about the contracts. It's probably, this is what your expectations are. You go over it in an interview. You go over it when you, you know, start working there. And there's certain things that just, it doesn't seem like they need to be spoken, right? But they're there. So for example, you know, an unspoken contract you might have with your sister would be, you're not going to sleep with my boyfriend, right? Like we don't, we don't feel like we need to say that it's your sister. You would expect that she is not going to do that. You know, an unspoken contract you might have with a friend would be, you're not going to start a campaign against me with all of our friends. You're not going to, you know, lead a crusade talking about how I'm a crappy person or a bad friend, right? These are all things that we may not say, but are there. Now, the way that this can show up in a way that's a little bit more insidious when it comes to calling in love is that we sometimes want to keep ourselves exactly as we are. We maybe don't want to have too much. We don't want to be too much. We don't want to leave someone behind. So here's a way that I see this show up for a lot of women whose mothers had troublesome relationships. So maybe, you know, the father died or the father left or, you know, the father wasn't a good husband, even if he was a good dad, all sorts of things like that. And so women will sometimes create unspoken contracts with their mothers not to have great relationships. Because in some way, by you creating something that your mother didn't have, it's as if you're abandoning her. So you see this actually goes very, very deep because you have to think about what a strong hold that will have on you. If you feel like by having the relationship you want, you might be abandoning your mother or betraying your mother, that's going to be a reason that you're not going to want a relationship, right? That's going to be a huge deterrent if that's something that's going on for you unconsciously. Okay, so these are really important things to be aware of. You know, I mentioned with the competing commitments, sometimes we have friends where we spend a lot of time harping on how terrible men are and the terrible dates we've been on and all, you know, men are such jerks and men are trash and this and that. So it could be that you have an unspoken contract with your friends to stay miserable when it comes to love, to only date jerks, right? So there's all these ways and reasons we could potentially have unspoken contracts with people. And it's really about keeping us in close connection. It's very important on this subconscious level 
that we do not lose the people that we already care for, the people that already care about us. It's a very, very strong drive that we are not, you know, pushed out of our group, that we're not abandoned or rejected. So sometimes we'll hold ourselves back. A way that this comes up really, really strongly is if you've already differentiated yourself from the people you love in some way. So for example, maybe everyone you've loved, all of your closest friends are from a particular town and you went away for school. Like you decided to go away from college when everyone that you've known since you were born basically stayed there, right? So you already sort of broke part of the contract and it's okay. Like you're able to maintain that balance with them. But now if you were to actually have a great relationship, that would be too far. Or maybe you have a totally different kind of job than your friends. Maybe you make a lot more than they do. So it's like you've broken some of the contract a little bit because you've created this, you've differentiated yourself, but you're able to maintain the relationship. But then if you were to also have an amazing relationship, that would be one step too far. So here's how you can think about this. Here's a question you can sort of ask yourself. Who would be disappointed if you were in a really happy relationship? Who would be disappointed if you were with your person? And you have to think about it not as if they're going to say it to your face, right? Because if they're a good friend, they're not going to say it to your face. But you can feel it, right? And it's it's normal for people to experience this to an extent. It's really about how powerful it is. Often when a friend starts a relationship and then gets serious with someone and then potentially gets engaged or married, it sort of feels like you're being abandoned. You're being replaced. If this is a best friend, it's like they have a new best friend. There's someone else who is the most important person in their life. And then if that person starts to build a family, that can come up all over again. So there's a couple of things that you want to think about. The first thing to think about is that you're never going to reach a point where you're like, I'm done. I have done all my personal development work. I have reached peak perfection. I I, I don't need to think about myself ever again, right? Like it's just not going to, it's just not going to happen that way, right? We're not striving for perfection. What you want to think about is reaching a place where if your person came into your world tomorrow, you would feel good about it. You would feel good about where you are in your life. You would feel good about the way you're able to relate to that person. And and like you would feel good. So here's the thing. There's pros and cons to doing it both ways. I think that you know, when if you've heard my story, I talk about how I took a dating detox, right? Before the year of the man, I took six months where I was like, I'm not dating. I'm just going to really focus on myself. That's what felt most aligned for me, but not everyone has to do that. Some of my clients do things like that, and a lot of them don't. I needed that. I felt like I'd been dating a lot, and I was really getting nowhere, and I just wanted a chance to breathe and really, really focus in on myself. Now, the downside with doing that is that when we're not interacting with people, We're not going to be triggered as much. And when we are triggered, it's where we get to see, you know, where we still have so much room for growth. So one of the things that I speak about a lot is how our energy expands and contracts. And so what I see women do sometimes is they're able to create a really, really expansive energy when they're single, when they're not dating at all, and they're just like feeling really good, and they're exercising and eating well, and they're you know, pursuing their passions and they're spending time with friends and like everything just feels really easy and great and awesome. And they're in this super expansive and really attractive energy. And then they're like, okay, I'm ready to start dating. And it's raining men because obviously they're being the best versions of themselves, which is always really attractive. And then 
They meet people and that energy starts to contract and they haven't had any practice staying in that expansive energy even when they are meeting people. So to me, that's sort of the biggest benefit of of, of dating, of sort of being out there is you get to see like, where am I still feeling unworthy? Where am I still not believing in what I get to have? Um, Where am I still doubting myself? Where am I still insecure? We have less of that when you're not dating. But the bottom line is that In my opinion, you're not going to miss out on your person. If you decide it doesn't feel right for me to date, I just want to take this time. I don't believe that like you're going to miss out on the window of meeting your person. And the other truth is that like if you align with it and you think that you're not ready, if you've aligned with it, it's because you're ready for it. And if you don't meet someone during that time, it's just because it wasn't a match yet. So I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. I don't think there's like an absolute, this is the only way to do it. It's just what feels good for you, what feels right to you, what do you feel called for? And I think you can also say, I'm going to work on myself. And then you reach a point point, you're like, I feel good. I'm ready to start dating again. This feels fun. You want to think about like, do I want to do this? Does this feel good to me? Is this something I'm interested in? Or am I like forcing myself because it's been too long that I haven't been on a date? You know what I'm saying? Okay, so the next thing we want to talk about, the third, the third huge sabotage that I see come up, a lack of responsibility. When we are not willing to take responsibility, we're not going to be able to manifest the way we want. We're not going to be able to call in more of what we want. Why? Because you're putting all of your power outside of yourself. So this can look as simple as saying the reason that I'm single is because the city I live in there's no good guys. There's no good guys. And I'll tell you what, this is one I hear all the time from pretty much any woman who lives in a big city. Okay. I lived in Los Angeles. I lived in New York. And I've heard the same thing from women in Atlanta, in Miami, in Houston, in Chicago, in like any city women say this, right? There's no good guys in my city. Men in the city just don't want to get married. When you're saying that, you're putting the responsibility, you're putting all of the power of your situation outside of yourself in some circumstance that, you know, I don't want to say you can't control it because obviously you can always move if that's really what you want to do, but that's not always what's necessary, right? And you don't have to look that far to realize it's never the truth. In literally every city, there are going to be people who are getting into relationships, who are getting engaged, who are getting married. You know, the other way that this shows up really, really commonly is just by blaming men. Men are jerks. Men don't want commitment. All men are cheaters. All of these things that are going to, well, first of all, make you not so inclined to get together with a man, right? Like, why would you want to be with a man if all men are cheaters or if all men are jerks? But whenever we're putting the blame outside of ourselves, we are, we're victims. There's nothing we can do. If I say that the reason that I'm single is because men are jerks, there's nothing for me to do. What am I supposed to do about that? Men are jerks. I can't change the men, right? So when we talk about manifesting, it's really about intentionally creating something for yourself. So if you're saying that all men are jerks, I have no responsibility here, then how are you going to create? You're not. So it's about having a belief in your own ability to create something different in your life. So This is something that I struggled with for a long time. I didn't get it. I didn't realize that it was an important thing. And for a long time, I would have said that the reason that I was single was because men were emotionally unavailable. I would have, 
And 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 here's the thing is like it wasn't untrue. <laughs> In my experience, men were emotionally unavailable. Because I kept dating un- emotionally unavailable men, but I was choosing them. I was choosing them. And here's another thing that really comes up. This isn't one I was going to talk about, but since I'm on this tangent, I might as well mention it. If this is a pattern that you have, it's because on some level you are emotionally unavailable. And for women, it's much harder to admit this. It's because it seems so much less common, but it's like a projection. I'm emotionally unavailable, but I don't want to have to admit that. So instead of recognizing I'm emotionally unavailable, I'm going to just say all men are emotionally unavailable, and then I don't have to take responsibility. I can blame them. But it's like I was attracting exactly what I was a match for, which was men who were emotionally unavailable. So that would be like another really, really big and common way that I see this show up is this lack of responsibility. You have to be able and willing to sort of claim your own power in terms of how willing are you to create things? How willing are you to do something different in your life? How willing are you to make a shift or a change or undergo a transformation so you can call in something differently? So yeah, this was something that I really struggled with for a while. And when I, when I, when I realized, I mean, here's how this looked for me. I was blaming all the guys I was going out with and I went through one particular breakup and I was so, what am I, what's the word? I guess like I felt confused. I was just like, how, why is it that I keep dating basically the same guy with different faces? And, you know, I was just like, interesting. Now that I think about it, I'm the common denominator. And all of these relationships that haven't worked out, they are different guys. I'm the one that's the same. I'm the one that's always here. I'm always choosing the same people. The people with same patterns, um, same things coming up. So it was really painful for me to admit that because then I had to look at all of the crappy relationships I'd had and been like, wow, I'm really terrible at choosing men. I'm really terrible at having relationships. Like this is me. This isn't them. And it was painful. Like who wants to think that about themselves? But the truth is that I didn't I didn't like harp on it. I didn't use that as a way to make myself feel bad or worse. I used it as a way to empower myself. And I was able to say, okay, this is what I've been creating all of this time. I'm going to create something different now, right? And I was able to make a shift because I was willing to see what my role had been and I was able to choose something different going forward. So the fourth one that I want to mention, a reason that we, you know, sort of sabotage ourselves a fear of sacrifice. Fear of sacrifice. Now, this is a really big thing that comes up for a lot of people. We are afraid of sacrificing. We are afraid of what we may have to sacrifice to be in a relationship. We're afraid of we're afraid of sacrifice. And sacrifice has such a negative, heavy connotation for so many people. It sounds like this big, horrible thing. I'm going to have to give up you know, everything that matters to me. But you have to understand that whenever you want something, there's always sacrifice required. For me to go to Starbucks and buy a coffee, I'm going to sacrifice a few dollars. For me to have a husband, I'm going to sacrifice a boyfriend. There's always some level of sacrifice. And what you need to think about and be prepared for is what are you willing to sacrifice? So maybe in a relationship, you are willing to 
have a husband and you are willing to sacrifice a boyfriend. You're willing to say, I'm willing to be in a committed monogamous relationship, so I'm going to sacrifice a boyfriend. I'm not willing to sacrifice my career, right? So if you were dating someone who wanted a wife who didn't work, then maybe you'd say, no, that's not something I'm willing to sacrifice. The reason that I'm bringing this up and that I'm explaining it this way is because you have to understand that sometimes we are believing that we're going to have to make a sacrifice that is too much without understanding that we get to choose what we're willing to sacrifice. And so when you're entering a relationship, yes, you have to be prepared to sacrifice. There are things that you are definitely going to need to sacrifice, but they don't have to be the things that you don't want to sacrifice. But here's the thing that gets people really, really sort of tripped up. If you've been single and you've been really built a really amazing life for yourself, then some of your sacrifices might feel a lot bigger. And I mean, even having to sacrifice aspects of your identity. So the way that I see this play out with a lot of women is that part of their identity is I am a strong, independent woman. I have built a life for myself. I have created a career for myself. Maybe I've even started building an empire, right? And I've done it all on my own. And that is a part of identity. That can be a big part of your identity. It can be like, this is why I have value because look at how much I can do on my own. Look how strong I am on my own. And if you were to create a really amazing relationship with a loving, supportive partner, you wouldn't be able to claim that anymore. So this identity that you have as an independent single woman who's done everything on your own, you'd have to sacrifice that because you'd now be a woman who's in partnership with a loving, supportive person who wants to lift you up. So when you are, if you are someone who has struggled for a long time, especially if you had a challenging childhood or you were very independent from a young age, you might have a subconscious attachment to your story of struggle. That struggle may be part of what you think makes you you. You're like, this is why I'm so amazing because I had to struggle so much. It can feel very, very scary to release any of that, to let someone in. So these are really important things to be aware of. It's like, what am I afraid of giving up? What am I afraid I will have to give up? What am I afraid just will be given up? Right? This was me. I was very afraid of giving up any of my independence. I was afraid of giving up my identity as someone who just had figured everything out on her own. Like I thought of myself as being very scrappy. (laughs) So to have someone who was supportive and who really wanted to lift me up and who would be there for me and who would take care of me felt very foreign. It didn't feel, and here's the thing, when, when something feels foreign, it doesn't feel safe. Okay, and this is the last one that I wanted to mention is that a lot of things are going to really come down to safety. How safe do I feel to have this thing? Um, so here's how you can think about this. If you're in a situation right now where you're not driving and you can safely close your eyes, just close your eyes for a moment and take a breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just feel into your body a bit. And I'm going to ask you a question. And you want to think about this on a scale of 1 to 10. With 10 being absolute, 
Like I feel incredibly safe and one being it does not feel at all safe. It feels dangerous. How safe would it be to be in a happy, healthy, loving, committed relationship with a really incredible, amazing man? How safe would it be on a scale of one to 10? And don't overthink it. Just say the first number that comes to mind or you don't have to say it. Just think it. Notice the number that comes up. We don't recognize that on some level it doesn't feel safe, but you have to think about all of the ways that we sort of have taken in information throughout our lives that might make us believe that. If you didn't have a great example of a happy marriage, not just a marriage, but a happy marriage, then for you, a committed relationship may not feel safe. If it's not something you've experienced yourself, it may not feel safe. You know, safety is a really interesting concept when we're thinking about it in this way because it really is about what is familiar. It's not about what is actually safe or dangerous. So consciously, you might say, obviously, I'd feel safer if I had an amazing partner, right? But it's not just about what we consciously want. So I hope this served you well. You all are wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes and be sure to tune in next time to the Rise and Love podcast.